Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Pop Culture Show. George Thomas is joining me, Craig Schaup. George, how are you doing here on this Thursday evening? Uh, I could use a nap, a shave, and a haircut, but other than that, I'm fine. <laughs> well, for those of you who are not aware, George has been a busy guy here. You can read all of his uh, work at uh, the Akron Beacon Journal or beaconjournal.com. You can follow him on Twitter at ByGeorgeThomas. Uh, you've been breaking some Akron Zips news here the last few days and, of course, dealing with some of the Cleveland Browns news as well. But thankfully, we're here to talk movies, get your mind off the sports world. Um, and we're here to talk one of the most anticipated blockbusters of the fall, Eternals, another Marvel movie after a what, year or two off. Marvel is back with three movies this year with Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and, of course, Eternals. George, what did you think of Eternals? The Eternals is a mixed bag, and that's the way I wrote it. Yeah. Directed by Chloe Zhao, um, which you like to see. Um, yeah. Um, she brings, a, for lack of a better term, it's an international perspective to the proceedings. Diverse cast. Um, it's hilarious in that the cast is spread out all over the world, despite the fact that they're aliens. So let me get it. It's it's a team of superheroes that have allegedly allegedly been here for seven thousand years, right? And they're they were sent here to ensure that the human race evolves into um, the its its best possible self. <laughs> so they clearly have not worked very well at that job, huh? At any rate, it's very optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At any rate, um, they're sent here, and they're fighting these creatures on Earth that were sent here to tear the planet apart. They vanquish the the creature, but the 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 entity, the Celestials, and this is all comic book stuff, obviously. Yeah. A Celestial who sent them there tells them their mission isn't done, so they stay here for centuries, eons, going through all these golden ages, watch cultures tear themselves apart. There we have that humanity not evolving into its better self. And all the time they're wondering why they can't really do something to ensure that the human race evolves. Eventually they splinter, going to different parts of the world. The leader, played by Salma Hayek, her name is Ajak, ends up in South Dakota. the um, the Athena, who is supposed to represent the the goddess Athena, and Gilgamesh, 
end up in, it looks like the southwest part of America. Uh, three others end, in, end up in London. And I'm not quite sure where Fausto, who's, or, or, who's played by uh, Brian Tyree Henry, ends up. They never, I don't recall them specifying which city, but he's in America. Okay. So eventually it's, it's revealed that, hey, their final min- mission is nigh. Turns out it's not what they thought it was. And that the final mission is for them to usher in the destruction of the human race and the destruction of Earth. So a new celestial can be born. Okay. That's not even a spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) They have to wrestle with the fact that they have fallen in love with the human race because we all know the human race is oh so lovable. (laughs) Right. These days from every corner of the world. Um, And that's essentially the jumping point for the action the superhero stuff, all of it. The thing is, what I do like about it is that it doesn't follow the typical Marvel formula. And by now, you know what that is. Right. There are some significant curveballs here that I, I won't spoil, but it, it's enjoyable to see. What I don't like, it's an origin story. Right. And origin stories either knock it out of the park I'm talking to you, Captain America and Iron Man. Right. I, I'd argue that Captain America's underweight, that, that origin story was underrated. Yeah. I really enjoyed that one. It's one of my favorite Marvel movies. But you either knock it out of the park, like with those two, and Black Panther. Yeah. Or it's a mess. Now, this is a two-hour and 37-minute film. Right. The first hour is undoubtedly a mess without a doubt because because it takes place across so many centuries in time we're talking seven millennia we're flashing back and forth and you're never quite sure whose story we're dealing with it's a way to introduce all the characters and with if i if i'm counting correctly correctly there are eight members of this team you kind of get lost in this in this maze of what's going on, right. and it's not handled very deftly. Now I get the challenges in that, and Chloe Zhao being able to pull it off at all to any degree, she should get compliments. That doesn't make it any easier to watch, right. because there are times when in that hour you wander, and it takes you out out of the experience. And and that's what happened to me until the ultimate mission is reviewed. Then we are revealed. And then we get into the, 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 the heavy stuff, the heavy lifting, the philosophical stuff, all of this. Right. And, and it, of course it answers the big question. And if you haven't figured it out now, from what I said, answers the big philosophical question of why they didn't stop Thanos if they were this strong. Now, now you know. Right. So okay. there, 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 there it is. I gave it a B minus. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't even know if this is one I would own. 
Okay. I'm a 4K. Probably because I'm a completist. Right. But no going in at that first hour is going to be something you have to get through. Right. You know, it's it's disappointing to hear that. And obviously, I've seen the lukewarm response so far from critics. Um, you know, there's a lot to like here, I think. You know, obviously, I haven't seen it. But, um, you know, just off the top, Chloe Zhao, I mean, she's the it director right now. She's the... The, the, not just the flavor of the month, but, you know, she's the, you know, those one of those young directors that you want to kind of continue seeing, uh, like we've talked about, and, you know, with, you know, Denis Villeneuve and people like that, where you really want to, you're, maybe it's not to that level of scope, like with a Villeneuve or maybe a, a Nolan film, but you really want to, I'm excited to see a project of hers. And this is one of those where she thankfully gets a maybe a cash grab where she gets a nice paycheck to do this film. So then maybe she can go on and, you know, do her, you know, her projects that she wants to to do, but it's disappointing because, you know, she's coming off of a win for nomad land. I don't know if you've ever seen her um, second feature, the writer, no. um, which I, if you're, a, you know, a, just a pure cinema lover, I think you should go watch that. Um, I just kind of stumbled on it one day. I had heard things about it. I know it did pretty well uh, on the festival circuit uh, when it first came out in 2017. Um, it, you know, we got nominated for Independent Spirit Awards, things like that. But that is a real, I mean, it was like Nomadland on steroids, where it was like everybody was a real person, not an actor, telling a story of this man who uh, became injured uh, in a bull riding accident. And it's kind of a sort of this like really subtle kind of classic western but yet it's sort of in that modern era of western uh just a terrific film and it really was a great precursor for nomadland so if you like nomadland i think you'll love the writer uh even more so but that's why i i have a lot of expectations for eternals because this is an opportunity for you know chloe Zhao to you know to not have to worry about budget constraints and she can do what she wants to she's got a great cast to work with i mean you mentioned some of them angelina jolie's in this uh, Kit Harrington, you know, Selma Hayek, as you said, as well. So uh, a lot to to really look forward to, but it's kind of disappointing to, you know, to see sort of this lukewarm response. I mean, is it worse because this is a movie that was supposed to have come out last year and it got the delay because of COVID and it looks like it probably remained untouched and maybe they, you know, maybe Marvel thought they were sitting on a, a great film because it's Chloe Zhao or, do you think that they, they could have done some editing or maybe some reshoots in between this, this delayed release? You know more about that process, the actual process, than I ever will, okay? I'm going to let you watch and judge that. For me, it just seemed to... They probably could have tightened it up. They, they probably could have added some clarity. Right. Um, so I'll leave that for you to, to judge for yourself when you see it. Okay. But, the, the only, again, the only adjective I can come up with is messy. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. The, and it's, and it's, mind you, she deserves Boku credit for being able to transfer from what the small films, yeah. doing something of this scale, because right. there's nothing wrong with the way the film was shot. Ultimately, the, the problem may be, and the way it's it's edited in that first hour, right? It, maybe it's because, as far as the subject matter goes, she's she she'd rather deal with those philosophical questions as opposed to 
dealing with having to explain all this. Well, and it also seems too with having an a, an eight person cast. I mean, we got to know the Avengers over multiple multiple films in a decade, and here you get eight new characters. That I mean, let's let's be frank. I don't know how much you knew of the Eternals before this film, but not a- they're not. I mean, you know, everybody talks about, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy being a lesser known Marvel property. But this is probably, to me, even lesser known because I could not tell you who the Eternals were until they announced this project, you know, as sort of their next phase kickoff of the big group. And is it maybe that kind of an issue where you're trying to introduce eight characters, even into a two and a half hour film? Absolutely. We don't know anything about any of them. And now we got to learn a backstory. Like you said, with the origins issues, Um, you're either really good and hit out of the park, which if you think of it, a lot of those orange or origin movies are single films, Iron Man, Captain America. I wouldn't say Thor was overly good, but you're talking about one single character that you're getting to know, and then you're dropping them into the bigger films like the Avengers or Endgame or you know whatever. And they, they all had those those post credit scenes to right. to tie it all. Right, right. So yeah, that that could be it. It's just the team is large enough to where it's too big to is too big to fail. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's, it, it's she's working with too much, and that's it, that being the case. Other than the the nips and tucks she could make, that's not necessarily her fault. I mean, yeah. this ultimately is fan service because let's be real: if this is part of Phase Four, and it is, you 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 have to know who these characters are, and they're important. Right. So there's no getting around this movie getting around having to make this movie. There's no getting away having to make these introductions. There's no, you, you can't just chuck it. You can't just wing it. Right. Well, I don't, you know, I mean, obviously you've seen it, you know how they're setting things up here for this next phase, but I mean, does it appear that the Eternals are going to be sort of the leaders of the next Avengers group? Or, I mean, I know people have said Fantastic Four is coming into the fold. Obviously you have some holdovers, like Captain Marvel, Black Panther, whether it's, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how they're doing the sequel now without Chadwick Boseman, but, you know, certainly there are other potential leadership that people have seen over the years, or do you think Eternals are going to be sort of the main attraction here moving forward in larger screen, you know, Avengers movies? I think you have to look towards Shang-Chi. You have to watch that one. Okay. I really, I firmly believe that depending on how they develop that character, because let's face it, he's still very immature. The character and his personal life and what he, right. what he does away from that is still very immature. I mean, when we left him in that movie, he was going out and getting wasted again. So it's like, <laughs> right. so well, I, it's- I think it's dependent upon that. I I'd look to see what they do with Black Panther and how they they deal with that. Yeah. Um, and you can't forget Captain Marvel, who's apparently getting um, some bolstered by some help. Um, the next film, if I'm not mistaken, in that series is titled The Marvels. Right. So yeah. I think is it Monica Rambeau who might be coming in, Ms. Marvel. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of her name, but yeah, I know what you mean. I, off the top of my head, I cannot think of who um, 
who's playing Ms. Marvel. Um, for, for the for the times I wish my uh, my <laughs> my older son was around. Right. Well, it's it's funny because you know obviously there's going to be a lot of expectations for a movie like this, and you know I think Variety you know said they're eyeing maybe a seventy seventy five plus million dollar box office, which is certainly attainable given what we've seen, although. This isn't your standard Marvel fare, even though, you know, I think Shang-Chi did pretty well. Uh, Black Widow did fairly well. But again, we've also seen Black Widow for, you know, what, a half dozen or more films. So I, I kind of wonder if this is one of those films that people may not know anything about any of these characters and just say, well, no one's really pubbing it out, you know, like like you or other film critics. So do you think that this movie is just going to be a one-off and, and maybe the Eternals will just be in other movies, but they won't get their, their trilogy like other people have? No, dude. It had the magical words at the end of the end of the credits. You know oh, what those be, magical words? They'll be back? The, the Eternals will return. Oh, okay. Well. That sounds like they're all in on the movie. Well, they'll return unless they make $20 million at the opening weekend box office, though, my friend. <laughs> Money talks. Marvel's got plenty of money at this point. They can yeah, make but they don't like here. they don't like making flops though, George, and you know that they want to make money. I mean, even even some would say that you know Black Widow was underwhelming. That they wouldn't want to make like another prequel or you know whatever. I mean, they're going to carry on with the Elena character, but even still, some people just you get to the point where you know if it's not making the kind of money you expected to make, and I'm sure you're probably paying Angelina Jolie full freight. You're, you've got a, another a, a bunch of talented actors and actresses, Selma Hayek. You're probably going to have to pony up more money for a sequel or for a trilogy. And at that point, is it worth it? Um, there have been three Thor films. <laughs> That's true. But you said, it, you said it yourself about the, the first Thor film. Yeah. It, yeah yes. Although I enjoyed it. It's it's the second one that really leaves me cold. But although, yeah. well, Ragnarok was good. That that was the one movie out of all of that trilogy that actually figured out how to best use Thor, which was in a more comedic, you know, tongue in cheek, wink at the camera every once in a while kind of style. It didn't take itself too seriously. The first two took itself too seriously, and it it didn't have fun. And Ragnarok had fun. It didn't take itself seriously. Jeff Goldblum was in it, so we you can't hate it because of that. It was just a fun movie, and it got the tone of what Thor really is. Well, I I think they realize that the heart and soul of 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 Thor is Thor and Loki. That's what I think they got right, and they just decided. Thank goodness for Taika Waititi, he he recognized it and just decided to go with it. Yeah, and, and it translated. Well, for the future with the television series, yeah, and 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 it translated to the 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 final Avengers movies as well. So I think that's why Ragnarok was what it was that relationship, and actually with his relationship with with the Hulk too. The play, right. so yeah, you're absolutely right. He figured out how to do it. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't, I mean, there's been a lot of rumors out there with Marvel. I mean, there's been talk about wanting to get Iron Man somehow back into the fray. 
Um, How obviously, much money do they have? Well, they've got all the money that they want. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, I love Robert Downey Jr., but let's let's face it. Now, granted, he did just get a role in, in Nolan's uh, Oppenheimer film, so that's great for him. I'm, I'm very happy for RDJ, but at the same time, let's let's face it. After after you know playing Iron Man for what twelve years or eleven years or whatever it was, the Pickens either they weren't slim, but you know he did Doctor Doolittle, which was just absolute garbage. So I think if Marvel ever said, "Hey, you know Robert, we want to bring you back," you know I don't think he'd say no. But at the same time, then you're like, well, you killed him off, and it was this very emotional way. Now you're just bringing him back because you can just say, oh, well, you know, we decided to bring him back because of this thing or that thing or, you know, someone, you know, bringing him back from, you know, the dead, essentially. But do you think it's time to move forward if you're Marvel? I mean, you know, there's also talk about Chris Evans maybe reprising his role as Captain America. And they've essentially moved on to Sam as Captain America. But it's like it's like they're afraid to put their full body into the to the deep end because, they know what they had with, you know, Donnie Jr. And, and Chris Evans. And they thought, well, maybe we can be fine with Thor. And maybe we can be fine with Black Panther and, you know, Shang-Chi. But now I feel like Marvel's kind of scared to, to go all in on a new franchise lead like the Eternals leading the way or Shang-Chi leading the way. I, I, I'm going to disagree. And I think they have to, I think they know they have to evolve with the times. Now think about when the MCU technically started. I think we're going back to 2008. Yeah. And for 13 short years, we're in a very different moment as far as representation in film and, and, and film audiences. Right. I, I think in seeing this more diverse, these more diverse characters, they're they're playing right into it, so so we'll see. But I, well, I, I, I think so. they'll yeah. be I think they'll be okay. And by the way, Downey Jr. reportedly made three hundred and fifty million to four hundred million dollars on Marvel films alone. Yeah. So well, he doesn't ever have to work ever again. Or he could be like, look, I want to do independent films. I want to do those Oscar caliber films or whatever. And, and maybe with Nolan, you know, he's, he's getting a chance to work with a high-profile director, and, and Nolan gets to work with a high-profile actor, which is great. But, you know, I mean, it's, I think it's hard to say no to that if you're either side, because Marvel looks at it like, hey, if we can have Robert Downey Jr. in the movie, we're going to put him in there. Look what they did with the, the Spider-Man reboots, where they put him in there to make sure that that movie had some cachet especially after everybody was sort of fatigued by all the reboots of Spider-Man. Fair enough. But you know what? Here, here, See, you're like I am. I remember Robert Downey Jr. pre-Iron Man. Right, right, right. Not the bad Robert Downey Jr., the great actor Robert Downey Jr. It's a hell of an actor. Like Chaplin. Yeah, yeah, like Chaplin. He is a hell of an actor. Yes. I I need to see him again now that he's in in, in that in that way in his his right. next phase of his career. Because let's face it, Dr. Doolittle he probably did that for his kids and it was a freaking money grab. Right. So yeah. even though he didn't need it. But it's no. like let let's hope he's done. <laughs> <laughs> and actually I there I think there are plans to cast Iron Heart, who is quote unquote the successor to Iron Man. So maybe just maybe he played. They find a way for him to to play a role in that, 
and then they go forward. Right. Ironheart, I believe, is an African-American female. So there we go. I, I'm foreseeing, I, with, with the Eternals, I love the diverse cast. Right. And, 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 and this is weird, and I, it, it, and I hope no one takes offense to this. It's weird hearing a British accent come out of an Asian woman in this film. You know what I mean? Right. And it, it just points to how how diverse we we become culturally right. across right. The, this planet. So Yeah. Well, I, I really hope that Marvel goes people. all in on that. I mean, you know, I think it's great to see it's it's unfortunate that it took so long for that diversity to really, you know, get to where it got to. And and you know, obviously not that DC's any better, but we also did see a Wonder Woman movie before we saw a lot of diversity among the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Obviously, Black Panther was, what, 2017, I think, or 2016? So, I mean, it's unfortunate that it really took that long for a standalone. And then, of course, everybody was, you know, sort of wondering why there hadn't been a Black Widow movie when Scarlett Johansson had certainly established herself as a box office draw. Yeah as a great actress. So it, it, she didn't need to have Oscar nominations to, to warrant getting a standalone film. Um, you know, I'm glad they, they, they made that film because it was actually surprisingly good. Um, but you know, it'd be nice moving forward. But then again, you know, you've got the fantastic four is in the pipeline right now, um, which they could certainly become the leaders depending on who's cast in that role. If like a John Krasinski, is, uh, Mr. or Dr. Fantastic. Is it Mr. or Dr.? I, you know, I've never fantastic. Mr. Fantastic, um, but he is Dr. Reed, Reed Richards. Richards. Yeah, but, um, you know, if a John Krasinski is is cast in a role like that, you could certainly believe that he could be the leader of a of a future group of Avengers or whatever you want to, you know, call them then. Uh, X-Men is still in the pipeline as well. Um, I know we talked about this a, a while back about, you know, missed opportunities that we'd like to see rebooted or redone. And I know Fantastic Four was on, uh, you know, was a movie we talked about. Are you excited to see the Fantastic Four come into the MCU? I may be Fantastic Four it out. But here's the, <laughs> here's the thing, though, with those movies. And in each iteration of those films, the one character they got right in both instances was Ben Richards. Yeah. Jamie Bell and um damn. Michael Chiklis. Yes. Yeah. Both I'm sorry. I I'd have no problem with them casting either one of them again. I think they did that right. I, I will say that I, I liked um Chris Evans and Michael B. Jordan's take on the human torch. I think they did fairly well encapsulating what that character kind of is. Um, but yeah, you're you know the Invisible Woman, not that it was miscast because nothing wrong with Jessica Alba or Kate Mara. They, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if that was a well-drawn-out character in either film. And then, you know, Mr. Fantastic, uh, you know, not, I mean, what, Ewan Grufford played him the first time around. And then you had... Um, mm -hmm. Miles uh, Teller. Yeah, Miles Teller in the in the reboot there or whatever you want to call it. I mean, you know, those, those two actors weren't bad to play that part again, I just think it was, you know, thin scripts that really failed those, those two different, you know, completely different projects of the fantastic four, but everybody's been so hyped about the fantastic four coming to the MCU. 
that I almost think that they almost have no chance to to succeed because everybody wants John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. They're a married couple. They could play, you know, Mr. Fantastic and, and the Invisible Woman, and everybody would love it. But then if like, it's almost like if if anybody else is cast in those parts, no one's going to like it. Or if those two are cast in those parts and it sucks, everybody's just going to be like, what is wrong with the Fantastic Four? Why is this an unfilmable group of heroes? Well, a lot of people would say that about a solo Hulk film, too. Why? Uh, hey, I like the. Okay. I look, I look, we're not going to argue because I like both films. I even liked Ang. I really liked Ang Lee's. Too. Okay, thank you. Because that's what I was going to say. I am one so, of the very few people. No. I we, really enjoyed Ang Lee's Hulk. I no, just. It, it was it was very cinematic. And it, yeah. it, and, it, and, it, and he made the effort to, to carry forth that comic book theme. Yeah. Yeah, cinematically. So yeah. yeah, I have no problem with it. Okay. Now I will say this: I will disagree on the Edward Norton film. I, I was not as excited about that. And I think I, a lot of it was just at the time. It's here we go with a CGI fight versus a CGI fight. You know, monster versus monster. And at some point, you just kind of, after every part of Harlem is blown up, you kind of lose track of what's going on. You kind of lose track about caring, if you will, because they're two monsters going at it. I love Edward Norton and I liked him as Bruce Banner. Yeah. I, I kind of wish, the strongest scenes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I yeah, exactly. And I kind of wish they would have kept nothing against Mark Ruffalo. I mean Mark Ruffalo's Mark Ruffalo, but I kind of wish Edward Norton had had stayed on as Hulk in Bruce Banner. But you know, it was a an unfortunate for me sort of a failed attempt uh to reboot the Hulk. But I will say that I think that that character has found its way as a supporting cast character. I don't know that it's a main, it could be a good series. Um, obviously we've had an incredible Hulk series before way, way, way back when, but if, if Disney plus said, Oh, Hey, there's a Hulk series, which I know they're developing the like She-Hulk. She and um, I know there's been talks about Hulk projects, but you know, Hulk has proven, I think he's a good supporting cast he might be even fun as a, um, you know, Professor Hulk series if they want to do that. I don't know that he's extremely worth a standalone film at this point. He's a good supporting cast, though, for Thor, especially, like you said earlier. Well, that, I, I would agree with that take 100%. I mean, it, it goes back to, to, to the question you asked earlier. Are, are we ready to move forward? in the in the mcu right and that's what it boils down to and i i think going forward you know and and actually he was in the spoiler alert post credit scene of shang chi so okay yeah so there you go I, well i think the mcu is is thriving again after uh what it was about a two-year hiatus right i mean from yeah 2019 was Endgame to Black Widow. So, yeah, it was a little over two years, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I think, well, the, there was a Spider-Man, but that's a shared project. So I don't know that we count. I mean, it's counted, I guess you could say, as an MCU movie, but not 100% MCU. It's a Sony property still, too, or half and half, whatever they want to call it. But, um, you know, there's that to look forward to next month. Uh, are you... Are you Spider-Man out? I'm kind of, I mean, I like Tom Holland. I think he's probably been the best cast of Spider-Man, but I'm kind of Spider-Man out after, you know, dealing with two, 
two sets of Spider-Man. Well, you're probably going to have to deal deal with three next next month. So well, I yeah, think, I think Garfield and Maguire are back. Am I look? There's only one superhero that I'm never tired of, and I'll give you a chance to take a, a guess before I I tell you. Mm, Batman. There you go. That's yeah. that's that's the one I'm I've never been tired of because the character is so dark and. The, the starting point where his origin can be explored in so many different ways from oddly enough from different perspectives so yeah it's, it's a character I've, I've I've never gotten tired of um I love Tom Holland spider-man though yeah I thought um and mind you that, that I I did the junkets for spider-man one and two right in Sam Raimi films and I remember them being enjoyable and but you look at those films for instance and you you just realize that toby mcguire was too old to be playing that role (laughs) yes yes well i love spider-man too i mean that's it's a great film but that is my that is one of my favorite marvel films it is a terrific underappreciated superhero film even though because it came out you know what now 15 years ago almost 16 years ago whatever it was um so to me that's one of the better marvel entries as far as marvel superhero properties not cinematic universe properties but um i'm a huge fan of spider-man too i know yeah toby Maguire was way too old to play spider-man and i think andrew garfield was maybe like even though he's a great actor i think he was like too cocky like he he kind of was like he came across as being not Peter Parker, as opposed to like Tom Holland, who literally is told to shut up or stop talking, or he's sort of that annoying teenage kid. Whereas Andrew Garfield kind of looked like a, you know, like a Calvin Klein model dropped into high school and was told to, hey, act like you're a little bit too good for everybody and be a little cocky and arrogant. Whereas I didn't really think that came across too much as Spider-Man, even though I did actually like the um the first one he did the, the the sequel to amazing spider-man wasn't as uh as great even though i was really excited about jamie fox as electro and i was hoping for uh you know an even better film that time around didn't quite hit the mark but um yeah it's possible that we may see the uh the two spider-man previous spider-man uh actors in this next one next month um are you though I'm sure you've seen the Batman trailer, the the new Matt Reeves Batman with Robert Pattinson. Um, You just said a moment ago that Batman's the one character that you can never get tired of seeing maybe rebooted or at least filmed. Are you excited for uh, the Batman next March? Oh, absolutely. I'll I'll be there. I've been waiting for it. I mean, it's it's more low-key than it has been in the past with me. Right. But see... You know, I will say this. He has a lot to live up to in reimagining this, because I'm sorry. You know, some will say Tim Burton. I'm going to say Christopher Nolan's Batman is the standard. Yes, absolutely. Sorry, with all due respect, I like his Scorsese-like take on the entire narrative. Oh, yeah. I um, thought you were going to say Joel Schumacher's Batman. No. <laughs> yeah, right. as, as opposed to, to Burton's yeah. 
Burton's mixture of the two with more emphasis on the comic book. That's right. the best way to put it. And I, I call me somebody who prefers realism to or simulated realism. Right. That's an oxymoron, though, isn't it? <laughs> A little bit. Simulated re realism, as opposed to that the world that 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 Tim Burton created. So you know, Christopher Nolan's Batman, his trilogy. Now, I will say that the Dark Knight Rises was a little bit less successful for me than the previous two, but what he created, and you're absolutely right, it's a Scorsese-like crime drama that I just, I mean, the Dark Knight is just a terrific film it's it like you said you know the the burton batman movies are more comic book like you know they they're a little bit more you feel it more whereas in the the christopher nolan trilogy you almost just feel like these people just happen to be you know parachuted into gotham city in a real element and they just happen to be eccentric so to speak you know where they dress in costume and fight crime but i mean it was a, a terrific crime drama I don't think it's anything it's it's a, there's a lot to live up to if you're Matt Reeves, but I don't think he has to be Christopher Nolan to make a successful Batman movie. I think he just needs to be himself because he is a, a talented filmmaker and Pattinson. I don't think it's like, oh, you've got to be Christian Bale or you've got to be Michael Keaton or whatever. You know, you can de definitely be Val Kilmer and George Clooney, I suppose. But, you know, I think with with that movie that the excitement seems to be around the villains where you've got Colin Farrell as the penguin. And boy, uh, did he transform. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Paul Dano is getting a lot of uh, publicity for his was take Scarecrow? on the Riddler. Yeah. What, no, he's Riddler, right? Riddler, yeah. Scarecrow was in it. No, no, just Riddler. Well, as far, as far as we know, just Riddler, and he's the Riddler. But he's uh, definitely looks like he's more of a Heath Ledger Joker type Riddler than he is Jim Carrey, which... I don't think anybody ever wants to see that Riddler on the screen again. No, 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 no. We got no. Zoe Kravitz as um, Catwoman. Uh, Catwoman, which is exciting. So there's a lot of there's a lot of expectations. It looks, you know, the trailers have looked gorgeous, and the fight sequences look uh, more along the lines. I don't know if you're. I know you're not the biggest video game person, maybe, but the Arkham Knight and Arkham Asylum series of the Batman games were very gritty and very violent games. It kind of has that tone to it, from what I've seen. Well, here you here you go. Here, do me a favor before this movie comes out, and hopefully we're still doing this on a weekly yes. basis. There is an animated Batman film, direct to video, called Batman Year One. Yeah, and I think it's heavily based. Yeah, on that, it's I think it's Batman finding his way, which technically was Batman's. Batman Begins, but it, 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 I don't think it's been done and explored in the way Matt Reeves is doing it. Right. So that that's what I'm looking forward to. Also, we're 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 looking at a revisionist Alfred, who's more like the Alfred in the series Pennyworth, an, an older version of that. Right. As opposed to the staid, sarcastic. Right. Butler. You saw a little bit of that in Justice League with Jeremy Irons. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think we're going to see it with, with a pumped up uh, Andy Serkis. Yeah. More of that robust Alfred that that we, we I, I don't know if you've ever seen Pennyworth. You might want to check that I've out. I've only seen bits and pieces of it. From what I've seen, it looks interesting, but. Very British, very interesting, very good. One of those series 
that I start out on and I lose track of because of time. I got to get back to the second season. Right. It's moving to HBO Max. Oh, great. I'll have to check it out then. So, because they're still trying to consolidate all the DC properties. Right. It's been on X Epics, but right, right. we're, we're going to see more of that out, Alfred, I, I have to believe, in, in this version, which is something different we haven't seen in the movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think you're right. I, I kind of agree. Like, even though I've seen so many Batman iterations, whether it's, you know, film or TV or cartoons or whatever it may be, I'm still very excited about this sort of reimagining of it. And I think a lot of it has to do with just these gritty, dark tones that it's setting. You know, if, if it was like a Joel Schumacher style of Batman, I'd probably sour pretty quickly on the trailers. But, you know, I'm very excited to see Paul Dano's Riddler. I mean, based on what we've seen, the little that we've seen, it looks very gritty, very down to earth, not comic booky at all, like we see with Jim Carrey's Riddler. Um, I mean, this is a you know, I always wonder, you know, obviously I would have loved to have seen, um, especially after Heath Ledger's passing, that you know, maybe Two Face would have taken on that mantle as the next bad guy. Nothing against Bane, nothing against Tom Hardy, he's a wonderful actor. I just didn't think that villain really, um, it didn't really speak to me as much as maybe Two-Face could have had they decided to move forward with that tale of morality and, and him losing his way and becoming a villain. Whereas Bane was just the the mercenary that was kind of like um, almost reminiscent of uh, Javier Bardem's Anton Chigurh from uh, No Country for Old Men, where he was like the hitman with a, with a, with a moral compass, if you will. He had ethics to his uh, debauchery. But, um, you know, Tom Hardy was great. The voice was a little strange. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, I think Two-Face would have been a way better villain to kind of carry out that Dark Knight trilogy, where I think Bane almost kind of was disjointed from the previous villain. You know, the Heath Ledger Joker and then, of course, Two-Face being introduced, where you really start to get into those moral and ethic decisions of how Batman's going to sort of police Gotham. The, the thing is, the, the the problem with the villains and and... and... The Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. How do you match what Heath Ledger does in in in, in the Dark Knight? And I I don't know for a fact that there was pressure there, but there had to be <laughs> pressure there. Oh yeah. I mean, and 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 mind you, I Tom Hardy. You're right. Is a is a damn great actor. He really is. He's he's who makes he's what makes Venom work work for me. So right. You know, so I, I Dark Knight is a masterpiece. It is. It is it is on that level of crime dramas. I mean, it's you know, it's one of those things where, you know, Martin Scorsese obviously has had a history of saying, you know, negative things about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know that he's ever said anything negative about Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, but if he did, I mean shame on him because he cribbed you know, a lot of it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, that's true. You know, the Dark Knight is is really in that vein of a Goodfellas of a mobster action epic, and you know, the performances are are terrific. You know, I think Christian Bale got unfairly criticized for his Batman just because he had dark, raspy voice for Batman. You know, he still gave a very good performance, and you know, anybody can get overshadowed by Heath Ledger and, and what he was doing. 
um, or Michael Caine, you know, with his quick jokes and things like that and classic Nolan style, or, you know, even Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox was very fun too. Man, but that was a hell of a cast, wasn't it? It was. It was yeah. <laughs> and I would even say too, like, man, I, I, I love the dark Knight, but Batman begins is just so underrated. It's so good. And I think a lot of it's because, when that movie came out, I think everybody thought, okay, here we go, another crappy Batman movie. And then, holy crap, it was the complete opposite of that. And I think box office-wise, it paid for that perception because it only did yeah. I want to say a little over half a billion worldwide. Yeah. It barely got greenlit for a sequel. Right. And and that's crying shame because I did, yeah. the, I mean, I did the junket for that one too. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the the breath of fresh air that you didn't really know that a Batman movie could be like that because you know even though the Tim Burton movies are kind of like in those classic 1920s German films where they have like these really gothic buildings and these really strange shadows and they're just encapsulated in this gothic world of Gotham but Batman Begins really just tells a gritty story and origin stories we you know you talked about earlier about origin stories hitting out of the park that really hit it out of the park and it just was the type of movie that we didn't realize that's what a superhero movie could be and it just blew me away and i mean the dark knight's a better movie but it's not by that much in my opinion because not batman begins is criminally underrated when you talk about great superhero film the best thing i could say is when even with the dark knight rises we, we've mentioned it before movies that we stop on just scanning through the if, if one of them are if one of them is on i'm stopping yes even if i don't complete it i'm watching yeah. I'm, I'm i'm watching some of it to appreciate it because yeah. they are two of them are great one of them is very good yeah i never thought and especially too with batman begins i thought man this may be a schumacher batman because you know at the time when they said oh scarecrow is going to be the villain and i thought really scarecrow is going to be the main villain in a batman movie um but wow you know killian murphy you know killian murphy just is fantastic and of course you know he's going to be playing oppenheimer in nolan's newest film um so excited about that but man he was great uh, he made scarecrow a menacing dangerous villain in gotham that we really hadn't seen at that time but so subtle but yeah so very yeah. subtle yeah because if you think about the villains that we had seen okay you know jack nicholson's joker was certainly over the top you know the penguin was sort of menacing catwoman was probably the most fierce uh villain that we had seen you know mr freeze was mr freeze two-face and riddler were of course them. poison ivy i mean it was camp city there and then you know you think it's going to be camp city with the scarecrow because that's one of the, the downsides, I think, of Batman villains is Batman's so dark and gritty, but some of his, uh, you know, foils are not so dark and gritty unless you make them dark and gritty. And that's what Nolan did with Scarecrow. He made Scarecrow menacing and that, you know, he made the Joker even more menacing. He made Bane, who was already menacing, but, you know, more menacing and intelligent and things like that. Catwoman with Anne Hathaway was also, you know, sort of sneaky and conniving. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know. The Nolan franchise, I'd, I mean, I'd love to have seen, you know, at the time, it was probably a little bit ahead of its time where DC wasn't really ready to go into a big cinematic universe at that time like Marvel was. But could you imagine if Nolan did was, the, 
DC heading all of this DC universe yeah. content, how great that I mean, Marvel would probably have stopped making movies. They probably would have realized they were outmatched by Nolan and the in the continuity that he would bring to that uh, to that particular universe. I think he got a producer's credit on on Justice League. Yeah, yeah, he got any he he produced um, Man of Steel. Um, so he he kind of oversaw at the time, I guess, when they were handing the reins over to Zack Snyder. So I guess he kind of oversaw the the project. But you know, obviously, I would have just loved to have seen him. They just helm the projects or at least plan them out, even if you don't direct all of the films. You know. Because you could make the argument that DC has had a better quality of director than Marvel has over the years. I mean, uh, nothing against John Favreau, but you know, you got Patty Jenkins has helmed DC projects. Zack Snyder, okay, maybe not so much, but at least we know that he knows how to make an action movie, like with Watchmen, for instance. But you know, you could make the argument that you know James Wan, you know, is a solid director that directed Aquaman. Um, even though I didn't think that was as successful, but it was gorgeous to look at. Um, so, you know, you can make the argument that DC's probably had a better string of directors working for them. It just hasn't really added up into continuity because they just haven't had any continuity. And there we have it. <laughs> yeah. All right, George. Well, I think we've gone off on our uh, Marvel to DC tangent long enough. Again. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got coming up in the future here? What's, uh, what's coming up next week? Uh, next week. Um, Belfast, yeah. maybe? Wait a second. Let me pull up my calendar. Okay. Um, I should probably, ch- I don't know if I'm going to check out Red Notice beforehand or not. Okay. And I'm I, gonna, know Bel- I know Belfast is on the schedule for next week. I didn't know if that's one. I, I saw that last night. Okay. So Belf- if, if, if opening day is next week, there will be Belfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a potential Oscar contender in Belfast, Kenneth See, Branagh, yeah. another Christopher Nolan uh, collaborator. Yeah, I, and I've seen King Richard, but that's got the night. That's on the nineteenth, correct? Yep. Uh, so it's going to be Belfast, and you know, I I like Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, I mean, not the sexiest movie, not a big blockbuster, but could be a very big uh, Oscar darling. Oh yeah, you know. absolutely. Very ex- I'm very excited. I mean, I love black and white, uh, so I'm very excited. And Kenneth Branagh is a very underrated actor-director, um, so I'm very excited to see that. Uh, all right, George. Well, uh, what are you are you streaming anything? What's you know what's on your docket for streaming? Are you catching up on anything? I was, you know, I we would have been talking about the harder they fall, except right, except time and life. So, <laughs> <laughs> are you streaming any shows? I know Foundation, obviously. I know Invasion came out on Apple TV Plus. Swagger. I've got one episode of Foundation left of the season. I'm not sure if how far I'm ahead of everybody else. Right. But episode nine will blow your mind. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I, people taking dumps on this series because it's not a pure adapt, adaptation of, right. of Asimov's story. It, it, they're starting to annoy me. Here's the thing. <clears throat> Some people say you should read the book before you watch the movie. Man. No. You want to know why? Because I think we're dealing with two different mediums. And, and that movies, visual medium, and I view them as, as more entertainment than reading a book. Yeah. And to translate the right way 
it has to be done in a way that makes sense for film, television, right. whatever. Yeah. And I completely 100% agree with you. And here's why. Everybody talks about, well, the Harry Potter series, this, or the, you know, the Hunger Games didn't. The idea of the movie is that when you're dealing with a 400-page book, you are not going to put 400 pages onto a screenplay because you're not going to make a three- or four-hour movie. Exactly. You have to – it's about capturing – for me, it's about capturing the essence of those books, whether it's the Hunger Games or the Da Vinci Code or Harry Potter or the Lord of the Rings – it's about encapsulating what the essence of those books are that made those books so fun and entertaining, but then making it more palatable on screen when you have maybe two, two hours and 35 minutes to work with. It's a big difference. People, my wife, we get into this debate all the time about, well, you know, the, the movies are always better than the books. Well, anybody, anybody can say that when you have 400 pages to read and you can create things in your mind of what things look like. Wherein you see it on screen, if it doesn't, you know, look like how you envisioned it, it's never going to be up to your standard or what what you think. Exactly, and and you know, so I'm bottom line, I'm enjoying Foundation. I really okay. am. So I'm going to finish that up this weekend, and I'm probably going to watch the harder they fall because I have a second consecutive Saturday off. <laughs> All right. Well. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of expect. I'm I'm excited about the harder they fall, and especially when you said your son said it was more of that black exploitation western too. So I'm very, very intrigued by that, and a great cast as uh, as we mentioned last week too. So I'm excited to see that as well. So, well, there's plenty to watch. Um, you know, did you finally catch up on Ted Lasso? Did you finish season two? Yes, I did, and boy, did that take a an. Well, I, I guess in the end, I kind of expected it, but it took. Mm -hmm. a, a quasi unexpected dark turn there, and it's like well, wasn't it wow. funny that that many people were saying one of the criticisms of Ted Lasso season two was that there wasn't like that villain in the in the in the series. You know, they obviously Perfect. first season it was kind of a villain with you know the owner wanting to sabotage the team, hiring Ted Lasso. Um, you know, you had other villain. Jamie Tart was sort of a villain, and then everybody said you know season two. You know, through about eight, seven or eight episodes, you really didn't have a villain. But boy, did they really uh, turn that on its head quite quickly at the end of the season. And you know what, though? At first, I was a little shocked by it because it seemed anti-Ted Lasso. Like, I didn't really feel like Nathan would really turn that quickly that bad. Like, I, you could see some of the, the breadcrumbs spread throughout, but it seemed like his hatred towards Ted didn't really come off as as understandable but then you kind of think about some of the little microaggressions and some of those little things that happened and especially you know over the edge maybe was when Roy Kent didn't care that he had kissed his girlfriend and that kind of set him over the edge and you know the more power he got the more corrupt he got so it made more sense to me after thinking about it you know just taking a little introspective look at it yeah it, it, it's amazing how it was set up to flow like it can work in real life yeah you know what I mean right he, Nathan's human, and you know, temptation, Garden of the Eden, Garden of Eden, all that stuff. Yeah, biting an apple, blah blah blah. Right, man. Temptation. I yeah. so, it. I won't say. I enjoyed the twist. I don't know if others are welcoming it, but I'm. It's got me stoked to see what happens in its final season because, the season set up for three. Yeah, I hope that's not true though, because I would, 
I really hope that's not true because I'd love to see even more Ted Lasso. I mean, you don't want things to overstay their welcome, but I just, I mean, George, and I thank you because you're the reason why I watched Ted Lasso. You know, my wife had gotten a new phone and, you know, we got a free a free subscription for a year for Apple TV+. Plus. I didn't think much of it because I, I knew Ted Lasso was available, but I knew that the rest of their, you know, library wasn't overly large. So I thought I didn't give much thought to it. But when you said you were going to, re you know, review the uh, the early episodes of season two, I thought, OK, well, I want to talk to you about something that we've both seen just to compare and contrast notes. So we binge watched the season, the first season in literally two days. Um, and it was probably one of the best experiences of TV that I've ever had. It is that good of a show. It's one of the best sitcoms I've ever seen. Um, and it's it's required TV viewing and really well worth the Apple TV Plus membership, in my opinion. It's right. that good. Everything you said and then some. Yes, what else I'm streaming? After we're done, I'm going to stream Star Trek Prodigy. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Star Trek Prodigy coming out. I didn't know if you were into the the more animated, you know, younger fair type of stuff in Star Trek or not. I'm I'm into everything, everything Trek. The thing is, what a, a lot of people, they hear animation and they freak out. Yeah. And did you, did you watch the original animated show from yeah. back in the 70s? Yeah, I've seen it. That was fairly deep for Saturday morning television back yeah. then. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, I, I own it. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, Lower Decks, that animated series, the first yeah. five, three to five episodes turned me off. Okay. Because there were a couple, there were a couple stereotype issues that bothered me about the, the lead character. And I'm like, right. Star Trek doesn't do this. What the hell are you doing? Right. And they cleaned it up down the line. Prodigy, which started which started streaming last week and my wife and I caught it on a, a, a just because I remembered right that's for review review access and it's like it's the first episode was 48 minutes long and it blew me away right it, it really just blew me away okay yeah so, I mean I'm not I'm not the biggest uh, trekkie but I, I, I can't appreciate the the Star Trek universe. Are you excited? I, I've heard that Paramount is announcing that they are kind of developing a plan of attack for new movies. I mean, you've got to be pretty excited about that. Now, see, so how did I miss that? Did that come out today? Because if, if, if that news came out today, I know why I missed it. <laughs> no, I, I, maybe it was just a rumor mill, but I could have swore one of the, uh, the you know, one of the big wigs at Paramount had announced that they're they're sort of in the planning stage of a reboot of the movies. Now I don't know if that means new actors or bringing the same cast over, which I actually wouldn't mind bringing the same cast over in a reboot. But um, I've heard that they might be planning sort of a strategy moving forward to have their own Star Trek movie universe here, and, and hopefully, um, hopefully that comes to fruition because I think that's a property that Paramount really needs to take advantage of in the film world, not just here on the uh, streaming side on TV. Well, you know. <clears throat> Well, 
Am I, would I be excited for it? It has to be done right. That's that's yeah. the problem. Are you a carryover? I mean, I know you, we've talked about Chris Pine. You like uh, him as as Captain Kirk, but do you want to see a carryover of the former cast coming? Oh, up? absolutely. Do you want to see a reboot of new cast? At, no. They, yeah. If they want to carry over that cast and give them their own thing, I'm all for it. The question is, can they afford to pay them all? Especially somebody like Zoe Saldana. Yeah. Uh, John Cho, he's doing Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, Anton Yelchin, it depends on whether they want to recast that. Right. I don't think the cast would be in favor of that. Well, Quinto and, 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 and Pine are the big, I think those are the big wild cards there along with uh, Carl Urban, who's found success in The Boys. So Yeah. You yeah. know what, though? I don't know that you have... I mean, we we talked about that. You know, you talked about it with Robert Downey Jr. I don't know that you're. I mean, Zoe Zaldana. Obviously, she's got Avatar going on right now too. But I think if, unless it's a scheduling conflict, I think you can afford to bring them in. I don't think you're paying Saldana or Pine or you know exactly Quinto, or maybe. I mean, maybe you could even argue that Pine and Urban would be the most expensive cast members. John Cho probably could come in at a little bit less, but. You know, you might be looking at several hundred thousand dollar upper upper six figures for some of the supporting cast, but then maybe for the main people like Saldana and Quinto and Urban and, and Pine, you're probably looking at like two and a half to seven million dollars for a you know, I don't think you have to pay ten, fifteen million dollars just because you've had them in previous films before. It, and it depends on where they take it first. I mean right. and you know what? I, I relish that cast because it's it's absolutely freaking a wonder to me how they took a a, a, a a property with a cast that had such chemistry. Even though we we learned down the line that not all was was hunky dory on that set, right? But they got the chemistry right in the first film. Yeah. I go back and I still, again, another film, if it's on, I'm stopping to watch. You see subtle, subtle stuff that yeah. they've done, the actors have done, to to embellish the character, embellish the situation, and it's like, it, it's, it's like a, a revelation to you. And the, the chemistry for that cast yeah. is off the freaking charts everybody everybody complained about the horror spock romance in those movies right it's one of the best elements of those yeah movies. yeah it's funny because i you know i don't know if we've gotten too into detail on this and maybe when we talk more in the future of star trek i i was excited about the reboot with pine and everybody I did not really think they executed all that well in the with the first film. It looked gorgeous. The chemistry, as you said, was fantastic. I think it was more so let down by a flimsy narrative where it seemed like they were going future selves, past selves with Spock. And it just, to me, it seemed like it was a mess of a narrative structure, even though everything around it, the action was fantastic, the chemistry was fantastic, the actors were great and it looked gorgeous it was more let down by the script i think more than anything but it also was one of those movies where i thought well i'm not going to give up on the series just because i didn't care 
as much for this first go around. Um, but it just seems like for whatever reason, they couldn't find like, you know, you would think that this is the type of series that they could have done six or seven movies or whatever they wanted to do. But the box office always did never re always reflect a great return on investment. And I wonder if that's why Paramount kind of wasn't consistently churning these out every three years or two years. That's exactly why, because they were getting box office globally in threes and fours. Right. And they were looking for the big B in a higher hunt. Hundred, higher hundreds of millions. Right, that's the kind of return on investment they were looking for. Yeah, and it's like you you got to understand. You know, Star Trek, even those films were more cerebral, and um, in some respects, they were more emotional. Um, the exception being Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, which right. matched actually Star Trek Three matched the emotional level of, of of those reboots i mean and and then the, the, i see this is how wishy-washy and ridiculous i am the the third third movie star trek beyond when you've seen it i take it yeah when when spock opens ambassador spock's personal effects and there's a picture of the original crew Mm -hmm. in that box i lost it yeah it's like wow i I just lost it it was so yeah i'm deeply tied to trek, trek. <laughs> well i'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk trek um definitely appreciate you stopping by george we will uh, certainly see you again next week unless the uh the world of the cleveland browns or akron zips falls from the sky uh but as always we know you're busy uh, everybody, you can read George at Akron Beacon. Uh, you can subscribe online to beaconjournal.com or follow him on Twitter at by George Thomas. Great follow. You can read all of his reviews and, of course, his coverage of the Browns and Zips, which there have been plenty of both this week especially. So, George, once again, always thank you for stopping by here and helping us out with uh, a lot of fun that I have at least. So uh, we'll see you next week with more reviews. I look forward to it. Take it easy, Craig. See ya. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We're hoping to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope to learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.